Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, we talk about the era of independent media in Canada, but not so long ago, there was only one, and it was Rebel. We'll talk to the Rebel commander, Ezra Levant. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hey, welcome along. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is Wednesday, December 28th, 2022, and I hope you are all having a wonderful, wonderful time. This is that weird twilight week between Christmas and New Year's where you don't know what day it is. You are in a sugar coma every step of the day. You've got turkey bursting your fridge at the seams. You've got leftover chocolate. It's just, it's terrible, and you are listening to this show, so I hope you are in the midst of uh, trying to seek and preserve sanity uh, throughout this weird sort of inter-holiday twilight period. We are uh, going to be back next week with regular programming, but we're taking advantage of the holiday season to talk about some of the big picture issues and go in-depth with some of the favorites, uh, favorite guests we have on this show uh, through the year that we oftentimes are, are talking about in shorter segments and for a very specific purpose. And today, I want to speak to Ezra Levant, who I've known for many years. I used to appear on his show back in the Sun News Network days, and I also followed him as a blogger years earlier than that read his book, Shakedown, which chronicled his fight for free speech in Canada, which, as current news indicates, is a fight that very much still needs to be waged. But I thought it would be a, a useful opportunity here to talk about the side of Ezra you don't often see. And, and a little known fact, he was almost on the track to go into politics, and uh, his seat uh, that he was going to run in ended up uh, getting Stephen Harper as the candidate. So uh, Ezra, I, again, I think could have been in a parallel universe prime minister, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a, uh, a moment here. The rebel commander himself, Ezra Levant. Ezra, good to talk to you again. Thanks as always for coming on today. My pleasure. Now, I wanted to go back. One of the big things that I, I find comes up is that we have both Rebel and True North, I think, seen fairly significant audience expansions in the last year. And there are a lot of people that I've known that have come over that actually have no idea who we are. And they, they've you know somehow stumbled upon stuff that we do. And it's interesting. So I thought I would take this opportunity with the holiday season upon us and not having too, too much uh, happening news-wise to, to delve into how you and Rebel got to where you are because you know in like a parallel history you could have been prime minister right now like people forget that you were standing for a seat at parliament at one point well i think that's overstating things i i mean i i likely would have been a backbench conservative mp at least i was on that course i was running in a by-election about 20 years ago and then as the quirk of history was i i stepped aside a little bit grudgingly uh, for Stephen Harper in Calgary Southwest, and he became PM. So, uh, so that's the whole thing, though. The magic might have been that seat. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I had political ambitions. Obviously, I was running for office, but those didn't come true. But you know, when one door closes, another opens. 
And I was always interested in the media, even in high school and university. I wrote for the college papers. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I started writing for the Sun chain of newspapers. And, you know, I, I wrote books. I started the Western Standard magazine when Alberta Report went out of business. So I was always interested in the media. And I always knew, even though I dabbled in politics again since I was a teenager, whenever I was in politics, the challenge seemed to be the media. They were the filter. They were the real um, political arbiters. They, they were the biased lens. And so whenever I was on the political side of the divide, I felt like the battle was on the media. And so when I was ejected from politics 20 years ago, um, I, I, I set my sights on media work that I always felt was the most important part, Western Standard, Sun News Network, Sun Newspapers, and now finally, uh, Rebel News Network. And I, I suppose one of the differences is politics can be about power. Uh, if you're a cabinet minister, if you're a prime minister, you have the ability to actually do things. The media can't do things. They don't have the power, but they have the influence. They shape the battlefield of ideas. They shape what people know about. And so although my political ambitions, I have not returned to them in 20 years, what we're doing on the journalistic side, and we're also activists over here at Rebel News. We get involved sometimes. We don't just we don't just report the news. We we every now and then we stop and fix something. I feel like it's been very similar work to what I would have done had I become an MP, uh, with one difference is I, I have more independence. Unless you're the top dog in a political party, you you really must be obedient. And mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose if you're a critic on a particular file, you can you can put your mark on things, but you have to really operate as a political team. And if you're not the boss of the team, sometimes that means you're reading talking points you don't really agree with. I mean, I remember when Andrew Scheer decided um, that I think it was Andrew Scheer um, decided that the party wasn't going to dispute certain things. Uh, Aaron O'Toole was when he basically signed on to the carbon tax. Well, if you were a conservative MP, you had to nod along and read those talking points or you would be ejected. That's just not in my DNA. So running Rebel News and doing our activism, I can express myself journalistically. We can do things as activists. We don't have the strictures of a, of a party. And, but we can assist true conservatives in politics by helping shape the battle of ideas. Well, and that, that's such an important point because politics is fleeting in a lot of ways, in a way that culture isn't. And I even look at uh, going back into Canada, what I, I've, I've got some frustrations with certain aspects of the Harper legacy, but let's just take for granted that we had 10 years of a conservative government. We had four years of a majority government in which theoretically there was nothing stopping Stephen Harper from doing anything that was on the conservative wish list. And, you know, whatever I think should have been done that wasn't done, there were some victories in that period. You had, for example, the repeal of Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. You had uh, a rollback of some firearms restrictions. You had uh, tax reductions. And, and you fast forward less than a decade from that point, and a lot of those victories are completely gone. I mean, sure, the GST is still at 5%, but more gun control is coming in now than ever existed before Stephen Harper uh, rolled back some of these measures. Section 13 is coming back in a, a supercharged way. C-11 
Gavin wasn't on anyone's radar, and, and it's probably going to be the law of the land. So politics is always going to have this back and forth. And, and I think, you know, just as the left has the bureaucracy, which tends to just keep its agenda going, I think the right has always been absent of, of in that fight of what do we have that is lasting between conservative governments? You know, I, I think Stephen Harper was an excellent prime minister, but if I had to list his two greatest failings from my point of view, one of them was he did not uh, take advantage of the opportunity to appoint truly conservative judges to the courts, mm -hmm. especially to the Supreme Court. I mean, he actually appointed most of the judges on the court, and yet it continued its hurtling journey to the left. He just didn't care about it enough. Uh, and he could have even been bolder than Donald Trump was because we don't have the same uh, Senate ad, uh, advise and consent committee system. The second thing I think he did, it was actually something he did not do. He did not uproot the dominant uh, government propaganda device, namely the CBC. And he did not, when he had the chance, protect a nascent rival, the Sun News Network. And I don't just say that because I'm an alumnus of that place. I know that a private investor, a Quebecor run by Pierre Carl Pelado, put tens of millions of dollars into an excellent all news channel, just like CTV's news channel, just like CBC's all news channel. I think he spent 50 million bucks on it. So the quality was there. There was 200 of us. And Stephen Harper sat by idly as the regulator, the CRTC, euthanized it, killed it. A regulator whose uh, board is appointed by the government of the day. Yeah, and I mean, there is no way any liberal prime minister would have allowed some board to kill a left-wing TV station. Here was the only truly conservative media outlet in Canada, and literally on the, on the eve of an election, he let the CRTC kill it, and he didn't lift a finger. You think Jean Chrétien would have done that? You think Justin Trudeau would have done that? I'm not talking about giving grants to the Sun News Network. He let it be devoured by the lobbyists and bureaucrats of the CRTC. Imagine if he had set Sun News Network up on equal terms to CTV News Channel or CBC's News World. Imagine if he had done what conservatives always claim that they would do, is not abolish the CBC, but privatize it. Sell yeah. it. Air Canada was privatized. It was a source of money for the government, and it actually set that airline free. If, if Stephen... Harper yeah. had uh, an, allowed a balanced, objective, private sector media in this country, we would be in a much stronger position. Those are my two biggest quarrels with Stephen Harper. Uh, I, I mean, he did. I, I would add leaving the Senate vacancies as well, because the oh, Senate right. could have been a, a real check and balance against the liberals had Stephen Harper filled those seats. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Yeah, and, and that was a purist idealism that... Uh, was absolutely devastating. I mean, Trudeau instantly packed the Senate. He laughed at, at Harper's do-goodery. But yeah, anyhow, back to, to Rebel News and True North, and there are a handful of other independent media. 
um, Black Locks uh, is let's, one. Let's ahead. actually link though Sun News and, and Rebel here because I don't even think the sign had been taken off the Sun News building before you started Rebel. And I, I know famously, I, there, Sun left Sun's absence left a huge void in the Canadian media landscape for the reasons you mentioned. And I was excited, but I would say a little bit. Not leery is the right word, but I, I was curious about what was going to happen because, you know, you've got this big studio, you've got this team around the world, you send people all sorts of places. I've uh, been grateful enough to travel with uh, some of you Rebels on a number of occasions. But when Rebels started, it was you in your living room. Yeah. Well, I, I had a sense that the end was near at Sun News Network because I was watching the CRTC slowly slice and dice Sun News. And I saw the valiant effort of Corey Tanank and others in that company to save it. But, you know, it was it was pretty clear the end was coming. And so I started thinking what would happen next. And I also thought, well, how can I capture the, the audience I have on TV and take them with me somewhere else? And we started asking our viewers to sign to sign up on a website typically for petitions or things like that but i knew that every night i was getting thousands of viewers on regular tv and very soon they wouldn't be able to find me so i had to be able to find them so what in the last year of sun news i started petitions and we really did deliver the petitions but what we were doing is we were building up a, a customer database of sun news viewers so when the sun news shut down and people didn't know where to find us suddenly because we ended without any notice. We, we, well, and we TV just, is a one-way street of communication. Yeah. Without that petition, you have no idea who's watching you. That's right. So I managed to collect tens of thousands of names of Sun News viewers. So when the lights went out, I was able to email them and say, hey, Sun News is gone. We're going to try something new. I've I've asked eight of my colleagues from Sun News to come over to my living room. We're going to hammer out a plan. We came, you know, we, we spent hours searching for a good name. The Rebel was the closest we could come up with. Um, but you know what? I think the name fits. We are rebellious. We're rebelling against the dominant political narrative. We're rebelling against the regulatory structure. We didn't try and get a real TV station. We went on the internet because we didn't want to be killed just like the CRTC killed Sun News. We were rebelling against the high cost technology of a million dollar studio, quarter million dollar cameras. We were replacing it with little cell phones. And I used to have five people working in the control room of my show. Now we have one. Um, it was very luxurious working at Sun News. We had satellite feeds. Well, why not use Skype instead? These things sound obvious today, but in 2015, they were not. And I should tell you that when Rebel News launched in 2015, we launched so modestly, you're right to say it was in my living room. And the media party, as I call them, they were so thrilled that Sun News was euthanized. You know, they were popping champagne corks, yeah. ha, ha, they're out of business. So when I started Rebel News, they all sort of chuckled and said, isn't that cute? Oh, he's got a little website on a YouTube channel. Good boy. And in fact, the coverage from the media party was was friendly. But it was friendly, like, ha he's given a shot. Well, good, yeah, for, it was a very good for you, little one. Very patronizing, friendly. Yeah, and... You're right, though, just to jump in there for a moment, that the media was, I think, very worried when Sun News came onto the scene because it was a disruptor. And when Sun News, I'll say failed, and I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but when Sun News, for all of the reasons you've mentioned, went off the air, they sort of breathed this sigh of relief because they felt, okay, phew, our, our little oligopoly is safe. Oh, exactly. And 
And so they thought, ha Rebel News Network, that's all you got. And for about a year, they paid very little attention to us because they thought we were nothing. And then I, I don't know if it was a mistake, but of course, when you're when you're online, as we are, you get a ton of analytics, a ton of statistics from YouTube, from your website that you really don't have the same statistics when mm-hmm. you're in regular TV. There's there's the uh, the ratings. I forget what it was called Nielsen's or NADBank or something. There was some I forget what it was called, but. Uh, there was a rating company in would, Canada now. That's but, right. Numeris. Yes. Thank you for the reminder that they would estimate how many people watched your show at any given time. But it's but it's a guess. It's not exact that you don't have the demographics. So when when you have a YouTube channel, you get a tremendous amount of info. And so about a year into it, I was looking at our stats of how many people watched our stuff. And I was comparing it with what traditional media called their rate card. So, for example, if you go to the Globe and Mail's website and find their rate card, and that's where they are selling ads. It's the rate you have to pay for the ads. They give you what they promise is accurate viewership stats. We have this many viewers. They earn this much money, this percent male, that percent female. So every newspaper in Canada has a rate card that gives you their demographics. And I saw that about a year into it, Little Rebel News with no money and no big office and no big anything was larger hmm. than many of these legacy media. And I, maybe it was a mistake to brag about it, but I started posting those statistics and suddenly the media party that sort of had a, Oh, isn't that cute? Suddenly said, Oh my God, how did they do that? Where did that come from? While we were laughing at them, they assembled an, I mean, we quickly became the number one news channel on YouTube in all of Canada. That wasn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to be these, you know, goofy extremists and and not cool. You're, like the re- the you're supposed to be the reject table of the Canadian yeah. media landscape. We're actually not even part of the Canadian media landscape. You're just like out in the parking lot. Well, they're all in the cafeteria. Yeah. And... And then they decided, oh, my God, we've got to squash them. And that coincided with Trump's election success in 2016, that all the tech companies said, oh, my God, he did this through social media. And thus came the deplatformings and the demonetizations. We were on track to make a million dollars a year from our YouTube ads alone, the ones that say skip now. I mean, we could run our company just on YouTube ads. Those were taken down to zero. Now, luckily, we've survived. Like I say, we have the names and addresses of of an enormous number of our viewers. But if we didn't, we would be dead, as many other yeah. conservative broadcasters were. When YouTube canceled conservatives en masse, it put them out of business. If I was a liberal, if I was progressive, I I would have such a bigger company because I would be probably making $3 million a year just in internet ads that I am banned from taking. And I'm not banned from taking them because we've engaged in obscenity or profanity or anything like that it's literally because of our ideological point of view can can you elaborate can you elaborate on that we have a strategic partner manager at youtube who answers our questions and and she's quite candid um they discriminate against rebel news because of what we say not because of anything we do so uh we survive based on crowdfunding and it's a it's a model I know True North 
does some crowdfunding too. No one on the left in Canada has to do that. If you look at where the money for the media comes from in Canada and the US, one big answer is from oligarchs. People forget that the Globe and Mail is owned by the Thompson family. David Thompson's worth, I think, $23 billion. It's his blog. It's his lobby firm. It's his, you know, it's his way of tilting the political conversation in this country. New York Times is owned by Mexico's richest man, Carlos Slim. Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. Um, all these rich oligarchs buy media to throw their weight around. So that's the Globe and Mail. Well, we, we don't have an oligarch. I guess we had an oligarch running Sun News, but we don't have an oligarch here at Rebel News. And in a way, that's good because you don't have a boss who can order you to do this or that. But of course, you don't get the money either. Okay, well, what's another way? Well, you can sell ads. Well, like I say, we were demonetized by social media companies that are run by liberals. Um, okay, well, then you can get government funding. Well, again, we're not <laughs> going to take government. Increasingly, yes. Yeah, we're not going to take government funding because then how can you possibly be independent and objective? And the fact that so many journalists take money from the government, do not disclose it, and pretend it doesn't affect their judgment, that only makes people more skeptical. And then the new way is that the government is pressuring Facebook, Google, YouTube, Instagram to put money in another fund to give to favored media outlets, they called QCJOs, Qualified Canadian Journalism Organizations. It's basically a government license for news. If you have that license, you get a pot of money if you want it from Trudeau. And now you'll get another pot of money from big tech. Well, oh my God. If you, if you are a new source like the Globe and Mail, which is already owned by a billionaire, and now a third of your money comes from Justin Trudeau, and a third of your money com comes from big tech, what are you other than a stenographer for power? So if, if you are you know, just there to massage power and be an insider, this is the time of your life. But if you actually believe in independent journalism, curiosity, skepticism, telling both sides of the story, this is the worst time for journalism in Canadian history. I can count on one hand's fingers the number of independent news sources in this country that are not on the government payroll. And that maybe is why we have such viewership. You know, this last year, the month of February alone, Andrew, we had 400 million views and impressions. 400 million. That's as many as we had in the entire previous year. By contrast, the CBC, their rate card, says that on any given month, they get 320 million impressions. So for the month of February, we had as many impressions as the CBC claims they get on any given month. It was our trucker coverage. And yeah. that was a time when our motto, telling the other side of the story, really meant something. And citizen journalism, just go out there with a camera, point it at what's happening, and just show people. Whereas the media party were staying in their offices, I'm afraid to go down, it's an insurrection, I'll be beat up by these racist, misogynists. You know, what? no, they're friendly people, there's a hot tub, there's a dance party, and they refuse to come down and see the truckers. And so we were just there with cameras, just live streaming. I mean, we had reporters, Alexa, Lavoie, Lincoln, Jay, literally walking the streets of Ottawa with a bunch of battery packs, just streaming the whole time. Those would get hundreds of thousands of views and around the world, not just conservative media like Fox News or, or, or things like that, but Deutsche Welle, Sky News, would talk to our young citizen journalists because we were on the street. They didn't want to talk to CBC or CTV who were too scared to come down. So 2022 20, uh, was the year we proved the citizen journalism model. 
proved that the name rebel was a fit. We rebelled against the dominant ideology. We rebelled against the, the system, the funding. The, the, uh, we rebelled against official journalists in favor of citizen journalists. And it was the best year in our company's existence, the best viewership year. One thing I should say about Rebel, you've actually like spawned another organization. When you mentioned that activism that you've done of, of trying to get involved in some of these stories and help people, this has actually birthed an entirely new project of yours not that long ago. And we started with one case, Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. He was our first client we crowdfunded lawyers for. And then another church came forward and said we were bullied by police too. And then another, and then we had 50, and then we had 100. And we spun off a completely new charitable organization. It's, it's now completely separate from Rebel News. It's called the Democracy Fund. It has its own board, its own bank account, its own staff. But basically, that whole crowdfund the civil liberties lawyers is now its own charity. And it represents 2,100 people, 2,100 people, 1,500 of whom are in Ontario alone. So that's that second part of what Rebel News does. That's sort of the activism part. So we do the journalism, but every now and then we step in and join the fight. And that's happening through the Democracy Fund and some of our activism. So the last year, Rebel News, and I know True North has as well, we've filled a lot of gaps left by the establishment. Let me just throw one more thing at you. During the lockdowns, during the pandemic, the opposition parties did not oppose. The media lost its curiosity and skepticism. The law professors suddenly went silent. The ones who were there to argue for Omar Khadr's charter rights suddenly didn't care about the charter. They went silent. All the traditional civil liberties groups, like the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, they went on a two-year vacation. The Supreme Court has yet to weigh in on any lockdown infringement. So I guess they've been busy with other things. Um, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, rather than supporting a second opinion, suspended any doctor with a second opinion. All the institutions of civil society failed at once. And so it fell to True North and Rebel News and others to fill that gap, not just journalistically, but the, the, the Democracy Fund on the Civil Liberties side, the, the JCCF in Calgary did a great job. But we had a systemic failure of all our democratic institutions. So, of course, alternative counter-establishment channels like ours succeeded, partly because we did a good job, but mainly because the rest of society completely failed. We had a total system failure of our democratic checks and balances. And we're so self-righteous and condescending. Canada is the best democracy in the world, the best healthcare in the world, the best civil liberties in the world. Our charter is the best in the world. Baloney. It all failed and people noticed. One thing that I, I find fascinating, and you touched on the business model aspect there and, and how Rebel came up with an adaptive business model. And interestingly enough, it, it's funny seeing all of this like really snarky, um, the, these snarky attacks on crowdfunding you get from a lot of the legacy media types. They, they think crowdfunding is dirty or icky in some way, but it's like, how is it any morally? I'd say it's, it's if anything, it's morally better than advertising because your, your money is coming from the people that want to engage with your product. But it's strange just how cliquey that mindset is in the media and, and rebel wasn't just innovative on business model but but also on on the adapting to how to tell the stories and and just a, a personal example on this when uh, rebel started i was i had been appearing on sun somewhat regularly and i was doing my daily radio show in london but uh, you know on the side you had asked if i wanted to, to be involved in rebel so i started doing a a podcast and 
it was good. People enjoyed it. People liked it. But but you had actually put uh, done something which I think is very risky. You put a camera in front of me, which I don't think uh, is generally speaking on the surface a good idea. But uh, in doing so, you said, you know, I bet you're going to have uh, you know multiple of the audience for a fraction of the work. And, and, you know, I started doing shorter three, four minute video reports and you were very right. People were engaging with those in a very different way because that's the way the internet was, was structured. And I think things have sort of come back around to podcasts, but video is still very much king. But that adaptability, I think, was so key to Rebel's success and, and to independent media in general. And, and even when COVID came along and you had all of these uh, mainstream media organizations that were locked out of their studios that are like, uh, 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 how do we get people on Zoom? How do we get, put an iPad and a ring light up? Which is stuff that you had been doing for seven years by that point. Well, when you're funded by crowdfunding and our average donation is $58. And I mentioned that because you can imagine how many people need to chip in $58 for us to operate a staff of more than 50. So if we're not listening to our people, we're going to be out of business pretty quick. There's also another benefit of having an average gift of $58, which is there's no one person, no one oligarch like there is at other papers who could call me up and say, Ezra, you fire that David Menzies. He went too far this time. Or Ezra, you stop talking about that. Like, like of course, there are p people who I very much respect. And if I, they I think I sent the one about Menzies, so you can disregard <laughs> it. I mean, of course, I would listen to, to anyone's criticism on the merits. <laughs> but when you have that diffuse uh, of funding, it, it truly gives you independence. Um, it also means you have to really listen. Whereas if you get a third of your money from Justin Trudeau, and now a third of your money from Google and Facebook, as the mainstream media does, first of all, you're tailoring your coverage to please them, obviously. And second of all, you don't really care what people say because you're not going to follow the grassroots. They're not important. Really, in Canada, you have an audience of one man, Justin Trudeau. If he's pleased with you, you'll do fine. And so that's why most of the mainstream media missed the trucker story or came in as anti-trucker activists themselves. Um, we, we understood that there are certain people in Canada who are not represented. I, I watched recently a panel discussion at the Carleton um, School of Journalism. Yes. <laughs> and it was all the big media, uh, CTV, Global, CTV, and there were a few people sprinkled in for diversity but they were there for racial diversity, not for diversity of opinion. And, and so Marco you had, Mendicino. Yeah. And, Marco Man, and, th and that was the worst part of it. They had a liberal cabinet minister fully embedded in this thing because, of course, <laughs> why wouldn't you have a government minister there, <laughs> uh, given that the government is now the largest funder of Canadian media? So there was no recognition. There wasn't even a flicker that maybe they were doing anything wrong, that maybe they their model is wrong. In fact, it was all we, the chief message emanating from that panel was we need more censorship of the peasants who are clapping back to us on Twitter. They were, it was an entire panel about mean tweets and how we need more policing of that. And Marco Mendocino, the public safety minister was nodding along and saying, yes, we do. The, the irony there is that there actually have been some journalists in Canada who have been violently assaulted over the last five years. I know, because I employ all of them. There has been no physical attack on a Canadian journalist in the past five years other than our Rebel News 
staff. David Menzies beat up by Justin Trudeau's bodyguards. Alexa Lavoie literally shot with a riot weapon in Ottawa. Drea Humphrey manhandled by Trudeau's bodyguards. Sheila Gunn-Reed punched in the face by an NDP activist. The list goes on. Um, None of our journalists and their violence against them, much of which is perpetrated by the government, has ever uh, been taken up as a cause by the Canadian Association of Journalists, Canadian Journalists for Free Expression, Any Journalism School, Penn Canada, Amnesty International, Canadian Civil Liberties Association. I've just listed six NGOs that claim to care about protecting the free press, and not a one of them even put out a tweet in support of our journalists who were beat up on camera. These are not my allegations. And not just that. I wrote a book called The Lebranos. I was prosecuted by Elections Canada, yes. claiming it was election propaganda. It, there were 24 books published at the same time as mine about the 2019 election. There were 24 books on Trudeau. Mine was the only one that criticized. And mine was the yeah, best. You dared to advertise it. Like that was the, that well, was everyone the ridiculous part books. of that prosecution. I've read the election finance law very carefully. There's a specific exemption to books and the promotion of books. So my book was convicted of being illegal. And there were two senior RS, uh, former RCMP officers, uh, veterans, who were assigned to prosecute, uh, to, to investigate my case. And they asked me, why didn't you register with the government? And I actually recorded that interaction with them because I knew going into it, no one would believe me. No one would believe me. And were it not for the video proof, these cops were asking me, why didn't you register your book with the government? They said that to me. Hmm. And that's the state of things now. And I, I'm not, I suppose on one hand, I'm glad that the media party doesn't care about these things because that gives us and True North the market. But it actually makes me very sad. I wish that there was no need for rebel news because I wish that the mainstream media had within them a diversity of views. I saw a panel discussion the other day on the CBC talking about Daniel Smith and the Alberta Sovereignty Act. There were five people on the panel. They were in Montreal, Ottawa, and their Western branch was in Toronto. Like they literally had no one further west than that, Toronto. That's Western Canada. Anything west of Toronto, like yeah. London, Ontario, I think is Western Canada on on CBC. I mean, I, it would be unthinkable that they would have a panel on Quebec uh, nationalism without having a Quebecer there. But that's the media party. I wish they had someone with a different point of view. Yeah, when you mention you know basically wanting rebels obsolescence, you you raise I think an important point that I, I think is useful to end on here, which is that you and I and and our colleagues are in a very strange place, and that the worse things are for the country, the more we have to talk about, the more we have to do, and and it it it's very quite perverse in a way because on one hand it's like I wish I didn't have the last two years to report on, I wish there didn't need to be a convoy for me to write a book about because the mandates weren't there, so. To, to put a bow on this to some extent, do you remain optimistic or pessimistic? Well, uh, the most optimistic thing I have seen uh, in years is Elon Musk buying Twitter <clears throat> and declaring he wants it to be a free speech platform. Uh, and he's going about that so far. And not just to allow different points of view, but to, for example, he has suggested that creators like us could actually make some money on you on Twitter the way we used to be able to do on YouTube. And Elon Musk is a daring doer. Um, 
he gets it done, whether it's SpaceX or Tesla or he, he's involved in so many things. Don't underestimate him and a guy who musters $44 billion U.S. to buy it um, is motivated. So I find that very hopeful. And, and I see others in the industry are starting to say, well, maybe free speech is not such a bad idea. I saw the head of Netflix come out with a very strong support. And maybe we'll see Zuckerberg say, well, maybe, and maybe we'll see YouTube say, boy, we'd better get back to our do no evil freedom point of view that they used to have a decade ago, or, or else we're going to lose viewers and creators to Twitter. So that's the most hopeful thing I see. Uh, other than that, the Canadian, and, and by the way, you mentioned C11 and the C18 and there's other related censorship and regulation bills. I see no hope from within Canada to resist them, but strangely enough, the Canada US uh, uh, NAFTA, uh, it has a new name now, trade agreement, may save us because these American big tech companies who are against Trudeau's censorship and regulation plans, they may actually be able to save us because they're saying, whoa, your laws that would regulate American companies in an unfair way, we're going to go to the trade, you know, we're going to make this yeah. a trade battle. I think that Canadian free speech will be saved by big tech in America fighting against Trudeau's <laughs> demand to control them. It's, it's odd. Yeah, it's a, an odd reversal that these guys who were in many cases the, the ones on the cutting edge of, of censorship for much of the last decade might now be the, the saviors against it. It's a weird... It, it, it's, it's that old line about how politics makes for strange bedfellows. And, and to YouTube, I mean, my hope would be at this point that Elon Musk works video sharing and video hosting in a large degree into Twitter's interface and, and really make Twitter the all-in-one, although I realize I'm committing them to a, a multi-year project in that respect. Well, just two nights, or sorry, a, a few weeks ago, rather, um, Elon Musk had a one-hour sort of rolling press conference yes, on yes. Twitter, and, and he talked about getting that engineering solution. Twitter, for about five years, has been a censorship organization. The majority of their staff have been working on censorship. They call it trust and safety, but of course they do. He has basically purged them, and he is giving it back an engineering focus now. And I really think that's his strength. I think that he will build Twitter into an everything app. And I'm and I don't want to, you know, the Bible says, "Put not your trust in princes." You don't want to put all your hopes in one guy. <laughs> He's just blood, flesh and bone. Wise, wise words. But. Um, you know, there is reason for hope. And listen, um, the fact that so many Canadians support True North and Rebel News and Western Standard and, and there's other, you know, there are a handful of others, that's a sign that things are out of balance with the media party. And the fact that they must rely on bailouts from Trudeau and big tech shows you no one wants what they're selling. And the fact that Trudeau is forced to resort to censorship means they can't convince people they're right. They have to silence their opponents. I, I am constantly impressed by the generosity and the, the love that we receive from the public. And I know that government media do not have that. You know, I'm, I get lots of slings and arrows shot at me online. And, but it's water off a duck's back because when I go into the world, when I'm on the street, there is nowhere I go where I don't bump into. I was in Melbourne, Australia for one of our reporters who got married. I flew down to Melbourne. The first bar I went into just looking for directions, he said, are you Ezra Levant from Canada? I said, how do you know? He said, well, I watch Rebel News in Melbourne, Australia. How did he know? 
And around the world, we've had 2 billion views, 2 billion with a B. When 2 billion people want what you're selling, that's a sign you're on the right track. And I know you guys are in the same way. And that more than anything gives me the energy to keep going. We're going to turn eight years old in a month or two. We've got more than 50 staff. We've made our share of mistakes, but we're still alive and kicking. And I can't say that for all of our critics in the media party. Um, I feel like citizen journalism is a valuable thing. And I know that because people want it. Yeah, that rebel effect is real, by the way. I was recognized in uh, Covent Garden in England by someone who saw me on your show around the time of the, the Tawny Robinson trial. So uh, it is real and it is spectacular for uh, Seinfeld fans. Uh, Ezra Levant, congratulations. Uh, we'll have to have you back on for the big uh, birthday in a month or so, but I do appreciate it and am so grateful because, you know, whatever people think of Rebel, it's like Rebel has proved that there is a business model for independent media in Canada, which I think is a tremendously important one and i know at true north we're uh, we're grateful for you uh, forging that path so thank you very much and happy new year to you thanks you too my friend that does it for me a big thank you to all of you who tuned in to this program we will see you next year this is the andrew lawton show thank you god bless and good day to you all thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show support the program by donating to true north at www.tnc.news